Good reading, eh? Good. That was so good, Sarah. Shot. Man, I love it when people take it real seriously, eh? It's super cool. Hey, Etu, let's all stand up. It's all good. Bad luck if it's not, because I have a microphone, which for some weird reason gives me supreme power over you all. Hey, so just go and find a few people and say, Morena, good to see you. You're looking fabulous. Even if they're looking terrible, just say fabulous. Is that all good? So go and say kia ora to a few people. Morena, buenos dias. Kia ora. Okay, enohoa. Enohoa, have a seat. Have a seat, eh? Hey, good to see you all. I just have to do a little brag, which I'm super proud of. But most people I've said this to just go, eh, which just broke my heart. So hopefully you won't just go, eh. So last night we had a celebration for Victoria, who's finished at church and heading back to Columbia. So I was talking to someone, there's four specific celebrations for Victoria, because she has so many friends. So this was the second one of all her celebrations. And part of the celebration was a quiz on Victoria. And so Joanne, her sister, had put this really cool quiz together using Kahoot, if you've used it, at and the questions. And I came second, which I thought was pretty phenomenal. So thanks, Annette, man. I was pretty proud. No, it was good. It was a fun night, eh? It was complete chaos because it was 99% Colombians, and Colombians are just the most crazy people ever. On oh, your shout-out was awesome, Anne, by the way. It was so cool. So they had little videos of different people that couldn't make it doing little, we love you, Victoria. So it was real cool. So Victoria flies out on the 2nd, and then she's spending a bit of time in Europe um, visiting mission agencies and stuff, and she'll get to Colombia on the 27th. So we're good to keep praying for her, eh? Cool. Hey, let me pray, and then we'll get into Nehemiah chapter 1, eh? Let me lead us in a, in a bit of a prayer. Oh, and I want to just pray. Um, so, man, a few years ago now, I talked to a lady that runs one of the women's refuge um, places. And she said, man, if churches could pray whenever the All Blacks lose, that would be really good. Because she said they just get really destroyed. So they see whenever the All Blacks lose. She said some of the other teams, but specifically the All Blacks, women's refuge just get overrun because heaps of guys are drunk and they just lose the plot and beat up wives. So, yeah, she was a real cool lady. So I just thought I'll, I'll start with a little prayer for Heaps of ladies that would have been really hurt last night. So, yeah, kia ora, uh, almighty God. Um, I know that kind of thing just breaks our heart. And I know this sounds dumb, God, but something as stupid as a game could cause someone to then, um, yeah, just physically hurt. Uh, or even just verbally, my gosh, whatever. Um, someone, they should be loving and protecting. Uh, we don't know how many kids got hurt last night. We don't know how many women or men got really hurt last night. So... We just pray for those carers, that awesome uh, group of people at Women's Refuge. Eh? We know they were probably just overrun last night. So we just call out to you and ask for your encouragement um, for them. Man, we just pray that some way uh, you will get into that situation and sort some of that stuff out. Thanks for heaps of the good things we've been able to do with Women's Refuge through the cafe. So just pray for some wisdom this week. What's something we can do as a, as a church, as a cafe? to bless those workers and bless those people that were just so hurt last night. God, we don't want to just pray and, and leave it with you. We know you're awesome, but we want to do something. So just give us some wisdom on that, God. Yeah, just, it breaks our heart. It just seems ridiculous, God. Yeah. Hey, can you just um, guide us now as we dig into this really cool chapter of Nehemiah 1? Um, yeah, we, we come to church to meet with you, eh? We don't just don't come to, I don't know, look cool and drink good coffee, we come to connect with the creator of the universe who changes our souls. So please change us this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, so Nehemiah chapter 1. So in a minute we're going to watch a little video overview of Ezra and Nehemiah. But I just wanted to give us a little bit of context. Because if you don't get any context about what the heck's going on, you'll watch the video and just be like, I got nothing, Craig. It was cool pictures, but I got nothing out of it. So a little bit of context. So... Um, 
so Israel, as you know, we're going back to about 1000 BC. So 1000 BC, so don't forget with BC we worked the wrong way in the dates. Yeah, it's not AD where we worked the normal way. You with me? Shot team, loving the feedback. Um, so around 1000, it's like 975 uh, BC. Uh, Israel, which is 12 tribes separated, and so you had 10 tribes at the top, that's called Israel, and then you had two tribes at the bottom, that's called Judah, right? So that happened in 975 uh, BC, and then they start being evil, right? Especially um, Israel, the top 10 tribes. And if you read Kings or Chronicles, it's funny in a sad way, where every king is just evil, and it'll say things like, and the next king was even more evil than the king before him. And then the next king was even more evil than the king before him. And you're like, what is happening? And they just go evil, evil, evil. So ever since the separation, you never get a good king in Israel. Uh, Judah kind of goes good king, bad king, good king, good king, bad, bad, good, bad. So they have some good, some, some bad. Um, and up in Israel, they go really bad. They're worshipping idols, they're doing human sacrifices, doing all sorts of real evil stuff. And God keeps sending prophets saying, yo, I love you, obey me. If you don't, <laughs> I'll zap you. <laughs> Um, I'll send you off to captivity. And they just kind of tell God to take a flying leap at himself and keep being evil. I'm doing the very paraphrased version of the Bible, if you're all good. Um, and God keeps saying, I love you, turn to me, and they don't. So finally, in uh, 725, around 725 BC, he sends in the Assyrians. So remember an A. Everyone remember A for Assyria, all right? So Assyria comes in 725 and just annihilates um, the top 10 tribes. And so Assyria's governance policy when they involve, uh, invaded a nation was to just distribute them everywhere. And so they don't just take them like the next one, they take everyone to Babylon. This one, they just distribute them. So they disappear. So we really have no idea what happened to those 10 tribes. They're just gone, right? So that's it. Some people here, some people there, and just spread them out. So, uh, so that's 725. So now you've just got Judah, the bottom two tribes. And God, again, sends a whole bunch of prophets saying, don't be idiots. You just saw what happened. And what do they do? They're like us, and they're idiots, right? Um, except for a few of you who are super spiritual. But most of us, we obey God, and then we stuff up, and we obey God. And that's what Judah does, right? And so around the 600 BC, there's a whole bunch of invasions here. By Babylon, remember a B? How do I do a B? I don't know. So A for Assyria, the first one. B for Babylon is the second one. Babylon comes in, um, and they take the, the rest, the bottom tribe. So they leave quite a few people, but mainly the poor people. This is when Daniel goes. So remember Daniel and the lion's den and the statue and all that. So that's when Daniel goes. Um, so big invasion then. Uh, and before this, Jeremiah had made a prophecy that they would only be in captivity for 70 years. And it's quite wild. When you're reading in Daniel, you realize that Daniel's having like his quiet time in the morning and just casually reading Jeremiah, as you do. And he suddenly realizes, we're only going to be in captivity for 70 years. And he's like, oh my gosh, the 70 years is nearly up. And he's all excited. And it's really cool when you're reading it because you're like, oh my gosh, he's reading the Bible that I read. And it's like thousands of years ago. Oh, so cool. Um, realizes. And then a new king comes in. So we had Assyria, remember the top. Then we had Babylon. And now Cyrus, C. So ABC, it's easy to remember, right? You good with me? ABC? I don't know how to do a C. I thought you'd be more into the actions, but that's okay. It's all right. I don't know, man. Whew. I'm just out of breath. I need a minute. No, I'm joking. Anyway, shot Nick. ABC. Um, so Cyrus the Persian, right? I did Cyrus, not Persian, even though the others were ABC. Whatever. Um, he has a whole different model, and so he takes over, and his model is, he has this real crazy religion called Zoro, Zoroastrianism, which I won't go into, 
But his understanding is that all gods are good and you're better when you worship your god because that makes his god happy because all the gods are kind of equal. It's kind of random. And so he institutes a policy of sending everyone back, right? So Assyria just dispersed and they were lost. Babylon, when they invaded um, the bottom two tribes, they took everyone to, to Babylon who was wealthy or intelligent and yada, yada, um, and just left like poor dumb people. It's kind of really, really random. They literally did. Um, but then 70 years later, um, Cyrus the Persian comes in and he has this different philosophy, different policy. Um, so he sends everyone back. And so that's when you get Zerubbabel and Ezra. We know the book of Ezra. Um, and they lead a whole bunch of people. About 50,000 Jews go back at that point. And then about another 12 or so years later, we have the book of Nehemiah, right? And so Ezra goes back. He tries to build a wall, and it gets smashed, and a whole bunch of crazy stuff happens that I'm going to talk about. Um, and then 12 years later, we have Nehemiah, who goes back and rebuilds the wall, and that's what we're going to talk about. So um, we're going to watch this little video. So Josh um, and the amazing Jordan, can you guys hit the little video? It's about eight minutes long. It's the Bible project, so it's all the little drawings, just giving us that little overview of Ezra and Nehemiah. Thanks, guys. Too cool. All right, turn to someone and just go, Woo! That was a lot of information. You do that, turn to someone. Tom's got no mates. Yeah, whoa, bro. All right. Hey, so one of the things I'd encourage you to do, because um, that's like a ton of information. Like, you're like, what? Who? I don't even know how to say that first guy's name. Zeruba, what's his name? Um, so one of the things I'd encourage you to do is read through Ezra and Nehemiah, right? It's not hard. They're real interesting uh, books to read in the Old Testament, right? Um, they are narratives, so it's a story of someone. They're really interesting. It's kind of like, woo, you get to the end of a chapter, and you're like, whoa, I'll read the next chapter, right? So I'd encourage you to do that. And then I'd encourage you to watch this video maybe a couple of times. So we're going to be going through Nehemiah for the next six weeks. So I'd encourage you over that time to go, hey, I want to read through Ezra and Nehemiah twice, once, I don't know, whatever. And I want to watch this video a couple of times, right? So I've put a link to it that the amazing and awesome Sarah um, has put on the church website and stuff where we have the, the online church. Or you can just go to YouTube um, or you can go to their um, website, Bible Project. So if you just go to YouTube and type in like Bible Project, Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll find it's pretty easy. So we'll, we'll put a, a good link in the newsletter as well. So I'd encourage you to do that because you get a bit more context and, and stuff going on, right? So all good. Okay, you okay after all that information? Shot team. Good job. Hey, so let's read a little bit of Nehemiah. So I've got a couple of, um, couple of points I'm going to look at. His first one, Nehemiah, problem and pain, right? So the, the first part is just you heard when Sarah read it. There's this massive problem, and then Nehemiah's just in, like, huge pain. So I'm just going to read verses 3 and 4. So if you've got your Bible again, um, jump back over there. Uh, where are we? Whoa. Okay, verse 3. So that these people have come from Jerusalem and said everything's disastrous. And then it's really interesting. Um, verse 3, they said to me, "'Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah.'" They're in great trouble and disgrace. And now with us living two and a half thousand years later, kia ora, Ophelia, good to see you. Uh, with us living, we're like, what? Man, what is the great trouble and disgrace? And then when you hear what it is, you're like, what? The wall of Jerusalem's been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. But we get that this is something huge because in verse four, Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. So Pretty huge. So one of the questions we have to answer is, why is he freaking out? Why, why does he hear about, like, if someone came and smashed the fence down around your house, you'd be like, blast. But you wouldn't mourn and fast and all this, but if you, or maybe you would. I don't know how amazing your fence is. Ours is pretty lame, so we wouldn't care too much. Um, so the thing you've got to understand, in, there, in the ancient Near East at this time, the wall is your protection, right? The wall is your protection. If you don't have a wall, 
then the enemies, the baddies, can just come in at any time, right? So the wall, like in the, in the drawing, it's just a drawing, the walls were often like 20, 30 feet thick and really, really high, like almost impossible to scale, right? And then the gates were just these massive, thick, like wooden things with massive beams and bars and you'd have sentries on the gates and all this. So one of the big things is that when Nehemiah hears this, he has family because his brothers come, remember? So he has family members and so on who are back in Jerusalem and it's his people. <laughs> And there's this clear message that, oh my gosh, they could be destroyed at any time. Whoa, freaking out. I can't move. No. Um, he's freaking out because it's like at any time someone could just come and totally destroy them, right? Because they have no protection. Now, the other big thing that we miss is that King Artaxerxes, so Ezra had started rebuilding the wall, as I said before, and he'd started rebuilding it. And then the enemies, who so are very similar enemies that Nehemiah has, which we're going to read about in a few chapters, um, they start uh, hassling Ezra and trying to stop him building the wall because they want to be able to just come in and destroy um, Jerusalem at any time, right? And so Ezra doesn't stop, so they go to King Artaxerxes, who's the king at this time, and they lie and they say, oh, he's doing this, rebuilding the wall. I just have to not move around. I don't know. Um, they say, oh, he's, he's trying to rebuild the wall because he's going to rebel against you as a king. And so the king, of course, sends in a giant army and just smashes the wall down, Right? So they've got two problems. One, they have no wall. They can be attacked at any time. And then two, whoa, I'll take this out of my pocket. Eh? Um, and then the king, whoa, I'm going to use that other one. Eh? This is dry. So one, one, they've got no wall. Whoa. And then two, um, the king is against them, right? The king is against them. So that's the scariest thing. So again, we don't get this, right? So they're a vassal state. And normally the king would give you protection. So if the Egyptians came to attack Israel, they would phone King Artaxerxes and be like, yo, we're being attacked. He would be like, we're on the way. And he'd say, but now he's ticked at them because they tried to build the wall. Are you with me, eh? So this is why when Nehemiah gets it, he just is like, oh my gosh, my people could be destroyed at any time. He kind of freaks out, right? So one of the things that, I kept coming back to when I was thinking about this this week is the response from Nehemiah. So we're going to see his response in a minute, and it's really, really powerful. But I know for some of us, we're not like Nehemiah. And so I want to say this really, really carefully. Some of us, when bad things happen, we're like Nehemiah. We can find strength in God. We're okay. We get on top of things. God supports us. The people around us support us, and we're okay. But some of us don't. <laughs> Some of us, when bad things hit us, we just fall apart, right? Um, sometimes we have the strength. <laughs> Other times we don't. Other times when bad things happen, we are just totally destroyed and, and overwhelmed. And one of the things I want to say real carefully as a church is that we totally get that. It's not like a decision you make. Sometimes when bad stuff happens, you're just destroyed. It just feels like God is so far away. Sometimes you try and pray and it feels like he's not even there. Sometimes you just can't pray. You see, you can't do what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah fasts and he mourns, but he prays for a few days before he does this big prayer we're going to look at. But some people just can't do that, right? They're just so in a dark, horrible, horrible place, right? So one of the things I wanted to say, um, Joseph and I had to talk about that this week, is as a church, we just need to know. So if you're someone that sometimes, not always, but sometimes when life just smashes you and you just find yourself in a a real deep, dark hole, and God's miles away or feels like he's miles away. We'd just love to know so that at those times, we'll just keep contacting you. We'll keep texting. We'll keep trying to visit. Um, we know that life is really hard for a lot of people, right? 
Um, we don't want you feeling guilty. You usually feel real guilty because you're like, I'm a Christian. Shouldn't I overcome like Nehemiah? It's like sometimes it just doesn't work like that. Um, but the key thing is that we don't know we can't <laughs> keep reaching out sort of thing, right? So what I'd love you to do, and this is real scary, right? But what I'd love you to do, if that's you or one of your friends who comes to church, um, we'd love you to just let us know and say, hey, sometimes life just smashes me, man. It hits me for a six. And when that happens, I can't reply on a text. I can't call out for help. I'm just in a hole. And we'll know, right? And we'll be pray- we have a really cool prayer team here at church. And they'll be praying like crazy for you. We'll keep reaching out. And then finally, when you start coming out of the hole, they'll visit and <laughs> bring food or fruit or whatever, right? But if we don't know, we can't help, right? Um, we can't help. I'm just going to read this crazy little um, story I was reading this week. And it's one of those stories where how does this person find strength in such a dark place? They're not a Christian, but a crazy situation happens. But they managed to find this crazy strength. So um, I was reading it this week, and I was like, ooh, that's just really cool. So let me read this, right? Uh, in 1908, Irish explorer Ernest Shackleton uh, headed into um, Arctic expedition, attempting to get to the South Pole. They came closer than anyone before, but 97 miles short of the pole, they had to turn back. In his diary, Shackleton told of the time when their food supplies were exhausted, save for one last ration of hardtack. So hardtack's like a dried, pretty nasty biscuit, right? Um, Some of the men took snow and melted it and made tea while consuming their biscuit. Others, however, stowed the hardtack hardtack in their food sacks, saving it for a last moment of hungry hungry desperation, Um, because this is the last of their food, so they're probably going to die, right? The fire was built up, and weary, exhausted men climbed into their sleeping bags to face a restless sleep, tossing and turning. Shackleton said he was almost asleep when out of the corner of his eye he noticed one of his most trusted men sitting up in his bag, looking around to see if anyone was watching. Shackleton's heart sank within him as the man began to reach toward the food sack of the man next to him. Shackleton watched as the man opened the food sack and took his own hard tack and put it in the other person's sack. <laughs> awesome, eh? And I was like, now that, that guy's not a Christian as far as I know, but there's something in him that managed to find that strength. But I want you to hear really clearly, sometimes you just can't, right? Sometimes you can't. And as a church, we don't, we're not judgy or guilty, but, but we need to know so we can help you, right? So we can kind of look after you. Um, so Nehemiah has this problem, he has this massive pain. Like You read that verse 4 and you're like, man, this guy's really hurt. But it leads to this really amazing prayer by um, Nehemiah. So this is the next bit. Well, oh, let's go back. Um, this powerful prayer that, that Nehemiah does. So one of the things I find really interesting, and I, I obviously read a few books and bits and pieces when I'm studying for this, and heaps of them make a, a really big link between Nehemiah's prayer and Jesus' prayer to the disciples. So if you remember in Matthew, and it's in Luke as well, when the disciples hear Jesus praying, they just come to him again and again. They're like... <laughs> How do you pray like that? It's like amazing. It's not the, the standard rote, because back then they had written out prayers that you just said all the time. They're like, whenever you talk to God, it's like, what, how, what? And so he teaches them how to pray, and he gives them this kind of cool formula, which we call the Lord's Prayer, right? So we know the Lord's Prayer. Now, when you compare the Lord's Prayer with the prayer in Nehemiah, the kind of formula, if you like, the template is really, really similar. So what I want us to do, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. Right, which is kind of called, get it back in our, I know most of us could quote it, get it in our heads. And then as we look at Nehemiah's prayer, it's like, oh my gosh, I see the, the similarities, right? So it's who, let's all stand up and I'll lead us, but we'll say it together. So this is from the New Living Translation, so it might be a bit different to the one you've memorized, but I'll lead us. We're just going to say this together, right? Eh? Cool. So, our Father in heaven, 
May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Oh, so good. All right, have a seat, eh? So good. Um, I, just, I say the Lord's Prayer like, I don't know how many times a day. I say it all the time. I love it, eh? I think I've said to you before, I'm one of these people that wakes up freaking out in the night, so I won't do a show of hands because it's kind of embarrassing. So often in the night, I just wake up and I am just terrified of stuff. I don't, it's really random. And I'll just start saying the Lord's Prayer over and over and over until I kind of get myself focused back on God and kind of calm down. Um, one of the big things I wanted to say as we go through this next bit, so I want to unpack a bit of this kind of formula is... At the same time, there is no formula in prayer, right? <laughs> so obviously, it's not like when I unpack this, you're like, oh my gosh, I've finally figured out the secret to prayer. Now, if I follow these, God has to obey my prayers, right? It's not like that at all. Um, the other side is also not true. It's not like if you don't follow the sacred formula that I am now about to reveal, um, then God will never listen to you, right? So God just loves to hear you pray, right? He loves you like crazy. He loves to hear you pray, but at the same time, I think there's some benefit in understanding this kind of this, this formula or this, this kind of template that, that Jesus used and, used and then that Nehemiah uses. So we're going to cruise through this, right? So here's the first part, verse 5. So this is how Nehemiah starts it. Um, o Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Um, I love this, eh? so I've broken this down to four little parts, so... Here's the first bit. Remind yourself of who God is, right? That's the first thing he does. So a lot of us, me definitely included, when I come to pray, in my head I've got my to-do list that God really needs to know about because he doesn't know all things, even though he does. <laughs> and I start with my prayer like, you know, I often pray a bit in today and I might be like, kia ora hey, and then I've got my list of things to do. It's totally not what Nehemiah does, right? And I, and I love this. So Nehemiah, the first thing he does is, he focuses himself on God, right? He reminds himself who God is. Um, you're going to see it as we go through it, but it's not right until the end of the prayer that he actually says to God what he's wanting. All the rest is just refocusing himself on God, right? I love this. I mean, here's a little quote from a book I was reading this week that, that he's responding to what um, Nehemiah says in verse 5. And this is really powerful, so listen to this. He said, It deliberately postpones the cry for help which could otherwise be faithless and self-pitying. It mounts immediately to heaven as the Lord's Prayer does, where the perspective will be right, and it reflects on the character of God, not only for its encouraging aspect of staunchness and love, but first of all for the, the majesty which puts man where the friend or foe in his place. So one of the things that he's saying in there is that the, the wise thing Nehemiah does, and Jesus does the same thing, remember? He starts with our Father who is in heaven. Your name is holy, right? Same kind of thing, right? The, the danger for us is we can get so caught up in the worry or the concern or the issue that we've got that if we focus on that and that just consumes us. But what Nehemiah does, what Jesus does is, no, I need to focus on God, on who he is, on the awesomeness of God, the almightiness of God, the majesty of God. So for each of these little points, I put a little like, hmm. So you ready for the first, hmm. Good. Here's the first one, right? Um... When I come to prayer, where is my focus? On me and my concerns or on God who is almighty and merciful, right? I thought that was a cool question to ask. When I come to pray, is it just it's all about me? 
Or am I kind of slowing down a bit, like Nehemiah does, like Jesus does, and just reminding myself, man, I've got this issue, I've got this need. It might be a friend who's sick or I'm struggling at work or whatever. I think there's huge benefit in just slowing down and reminding myself who God is, remembering him, right? Kind of cool. Okay, here's the second one, second point. Um, this is pretty full on, right? Um, confess your sins and your disobedience, right? Confess your sins and your disobedience. This is the next thing that Nehemiah does, verses 6 and 7. Let me read this. Um, Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we've sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. So pretty cool, right? So he does this massive confession. Um, So I want to do kind of a random illustration, which is going to be super hard holding this microphone. So let me, nah, well, you can come up, Joe. You can be God. You're pretty spiritual. No, it's all good. You've come up now. That's good. So Josephine will be God. Small G. Stand over there and hold the other end of my pipe. You're good. Hey, if you're listening on the podcast, we're holding a, a large hollow pipe between us. Um, so I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I've talked about that a lot, right? So this pipe is representing my, my relationship with God, my connection with God, right? Um, and I can talk to God anytime. Hello, God. Hello. Whoa, see, I hear God really clearly when God speaks because the pipes are all clear, right? My sin is confessed. But I think there's a danger when we, when we sin. So let me do this. So here's a sin, right? So God can hear me. I can hear God really well. But I sin, thank you. I sin. And I, 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 I sin, right? And I'm trying to hear God. Can I hear God? Man, it's real quiet now. Now, God can still hear me, right? My sin doesn't mean God's like, what, Craig, I can't hear you. But I think it really messes up the relationship. You with me, eh? Right? So another, here's another, another sin. And maybe another sin. Obviously, for me, this would be over like 10 years, because I don't sin very much at all, right? <laughs> maybe one every six years, not really, right? Um... But you can see what I'm saying, right? The connection's still there. I'm still connected to God. I haven't lost my salvation. But that sin is going to, it's going to really, really disable my ability to hear God. God doesn't stop speaking to me. We read that in, in John. God talks to us all the time, right? In love and in direction and in rebuke. <laughs> but if I allow that sin to, to block, I'm still connected, but I just, man, I just can't hear. Where's God? Where's God gone? Why is God not speaking to me anymore? And he's like, I'm totally speaking, <laughs> But you need to confess that sin, right? It makes sense, are you with me? Yeah. Okay, shot, Joe. Great, God, small g action. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And so that's what Nehemiah, Nehemiah does here, right? He, he, he's got this huge worry. He gets his eyes on God. Next thing, oh, I need to clear, clear the path, right? Clear the channel, clear the relationship um, with God. So here's my little, hmm, at the end of this one. Whoops, I didn't click, sorry. Wow, where are we going? Oh, it's down there. Uh, when I come to prayer, do I slow down and confess my sin and disobedience first, right? When I come to prayer, do I slow down and confess my disobedience, my sin? So this is kind of a rude statement for me to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. When I come to prayer, do I confess my sin to God, or do I just foolishly expect that God would ignore my sin and hear my request, <laughs> Does it make sense, eh? 
if, if there's been stuff I've done, thought of, whatever, during the week, during the day, I'm kind of, if I don't confess that before I call out to God in prayer, I'm kind of just asking God to ignore it, which he doesn't do. And then saying, oh, and can you help me here and sort me here and look after my friend here? To me, that's just nuts. <laughs> Why wouldn't I come to him and remember, get my eyes on him and then say, oh, we need to clear the path here. <laughs> I messed up here, I said this, I punched this person, I, you know, whatever. Cool, we're, we're good. Does it make sense, eh? I, I love this for me. And you see the same thing in the Lord's Prayer, like I said before, right? Okay, so here's the third part. Um, recalling the promises of God, right? Recalling the promises of God. So here's verses 8 and 10. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I'll scatter you among the nations, which is what they saw, right? They were unfaithful, so the exile, like I explained, then he carries on, but if you return to me, which they're doing, and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you're ex exiled uh, to the ends of the earth, I'll bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honoured. The people you rescued by your, um, by your great hand, sorry, by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Uh, it's, that first part is this getting my eyes on Jesus. The second part is this confessing of sin, but this third part is reminding me of the promises of God, right? It's not reminding God. It's not like God's forgotten. And Nehemiah's like, don't forget when we do good. Oh, God's like, right, I totally spaced it. Bro, I have a lot going on, like ruling the entire universe. Totally forgot it. It's not like that at all, right? Um, when we come to God in prayer and we remind ourselves <laughs> of some of his promises, they might be specific ones that we've received. There might be verses in the Bible that we've read that are really important to us, the death of Christ and stuff. Again, do you see what's happening, eh? It's like this, we haven't even, he hasn't even said what he's come to God for, right? He's got his eyes on God, taking them off the issues. He's confessing. He's reminded himself of some of the, the promises of God. I just love it. And, and, and he's coming with the, he's coming to the request, but it's kind of cool. Okay, just a funny illustration. I read this, I said to Karen and Stu, judge me on this illustration if this is just too bizarre or not, so... I thought this was pretty funny. So this is John Acuff. He was thinking about some of the promises. He's an author over in the States. And he was thinking about some of the promises of God that we get. And, and this is what he wrote in this book. He said, I think the uber-popular Christian prayer request for a hedge of protection is in the Bible, but I'm not sure. And it is in the Bible. It's in Ezra, it's in Hosea, and it's all through the Psalms, right? This hedge of protection or a hedge of angels, you've heard that, eh? Yeah, so that's what he's thinking about, one of these promises. He said, it sounds like something David would have written in the book of Psalms. He's very poetic and our most Bono-like writer, which I thought was funny. <laughs> but a friend of mine once revealed that he's always found that to be an inadequate security measure. As a child, when his mother would pray that he would have a hedge of protection or a hedge of angels around him, he would think, anyone can jump a hedge. How hard is that? Forget the hedge of angels. I'm praying for a dome of angels. I was like, this is a little kid, right? So he carries on. He says, at first I laughed at that story. But the more that I thought about it, the more it made sense. These are troubling times. And I've never seen a hedge and thought, hmm, that thick collection of bushes is both terrifying and impenetrable. <laughs> Maybe instead of praying for a hedge of protection, we should pray for a beaded curtain of wasps or a, tra <laughs> or a trampoline moat of lions or a rugby scrum of angels. I thought that was pretty cool, right? So I was thinking from now on when I'm praying for one of my kids or Joseph, I'm going to be like, man, God, can you give us a rugby scrum of angels? I was like, that's kind of cool, right? I just thought that was kind of phantom, um, kind of random. Any complaints, Grant's the lead out of today, so you can just complain to Grant afterwards.
Uh, that's cool. All right. Hey, so here's the little hmm after this promises one. When I come to pray, do I take time to remind myself of the awesome promises of God? Or again, am I just in a rush and I'm like, God, here's my shopping list. Sort it out. See you later. You know, or am I taking time to get my eyes, confess my sin, and remind myself of the promises? It's cool. Okay, so here's the last part of it. Um, finally, the request. It's kind of like, what the heck? So different from how I pray, so different from how heaps of us pray. So here's the last bit, verse 11. Uh, he finally says, Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Because he's about to go to the king and, and ask um, the king for resources and army, like we saw in the little video, right? Um, so I just wanted to stop and ask you a couple of quick questions, right? Do you think your own prayer life would be more meaningful and powerful if you followed Nehemiah and Jesus' example? And it takes more time, right? Um, but do you think your own prayer life would be more meaningful for you, more powerful for you if you kind of followed a bit of this like formula, right? Here's the second kind of question. I wonder how much our prayer would change us and those around us if we followed these examples of prayer, right? Now, I want to say what I said before, though. Don't forget, God still loves you. It's not like Anne goes to pray to God and skips the confession of sin because there's so much sin. It would take days. I'm joking. Anne doesn't sin at all, right? Um, that God's like, what? No, I can't hear you. You didn't follow the sacred formula, right? He just loves to hear us pray. But I think for us, there's huge benefit because it takes our eyes off the issue, right? Confesses our sin, clears that connection with God, reminds us of the promises, and then we kind of come to the, the final issue that we want to ask. All right, hey, so last little bit here. Um, so heaps of people use this um, acronym of ACTS, right? You've heard of this? So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplications. This is a real easy way to remember that because I was like, some of you will be like, ooh, that's a cool formula, but then you'll be like, nah, i got no idea to remember that. Good one, Craig, and you'll forget. So ACTS is real easy. So adoration, thanking God, adoring God, pretty easy. And see confession of my sins and disobedience, thanksgiving of who God is and for his promises, supplication, finally asking for the thing. So cool. Hey, let's all stand up, eh? Etu. Let's stand. Cool worship team. You guys want to boost up? That'd be cool. Hey, so I just really want to encourage you, like I said at the beginning, I really encourage you to read through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, watch that video again, eh? It just starts getting it into our brains a little bit more, eh? Um, and obviously, I really encourage you to consider praying like this. Um, I shoot up. I'm a bit of a, they call it ADHD praying. <laughs> I just am praying all the time. I think of someone, I think of you weirdos during the week, and I'm like, God, bless Lee. God, bless Anne, and I'm praying and stuff. But for me, I'm finding it's really beneficial to have some set-aside times where I follow this. and I take time and, and really kind of call out to God. All right, let me, let me pray for us as we carry on and worship, eh? Yeah, Almighty God, thanks that as we learn more about you, I think you do hold us accountable for increased understanding of you. Um, this, this, you know, formula in quotes, I hate using that word formula, God, I don't know, this template, this guidance that Nehemiah follows, that Jesus seems to follow the same thing when he's teaching us how to pray. Um, just, man, it really makes sense, eh? Um, I just pray for those of us that are, that are zooming around like maniacs all the time and and just really needing to slow down in our, our prayer life and our time of connecting with you, eh? 
Um, if this is going to be helpful, can you just keep through your Holy Spirit, just like really sticking it into our brain, that we start to set aside some times of really cool prayer where we do come and we just take our eyes off the issues and the concerns and we focus on you. And we take some time to confess our sins and to clear that relationship with you. That we remind ourselves of some of the promises that you've given to us. And then finally we come to our requests, God. So you just guide us in this. Say, we want to be better in our relationship with you. We want to be used uh, way more by you, God. So we need your guidance. Yeah, I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, man.